have a Bible, let's go ahead and turn there this morning to Romans chapter 8. As we continue our journey through the book of Romans, um, when we get into chapter 9, 10, and 11, it's all about Israel. That's a really, really cool section. But right here is probably one of my favorite portions in the whole Bible um, because it talks about God's love. And look what we read in verse 31. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that an awesome portion of scripture? It really is. You know, if you remember looking in verses 31 right here, the context is suffering. Paul has been teaching about suffering here in Romans chapter 8. And a large part of that suffering has to do, you guys, with opposition. You know, sometimes as Christians, we face physical opposition. The person over there, that person over here. At all times as Christians, we face spiritual opposition. You know, and it might be a dictator, it might be a demon, it might be the devil himself. But in life, there will be suffering, and a lot of that suffering is because of the opposition that we will face. But we learned last time that for the Christian, no matter what the suffering is, it's so cool to know that that suffering will be used by God to lead someone to salvation. God will work it for good. He will use it for his glory. And so Paul asks the question there in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Really, the question is, is if God is for us for good, is there anyone that can do anything to us for bad? And the answer, I think you guys know, is, is absolutely not. Not a dictator, not a demon, not a devil, not that dude over there, no dudette. Nobody can do anything to us for bad as his people. You know, and we see that throughout history, you guys. You know, one of the clearest examples being that of Joseph in, you know, Genesis chapter 37. You guys probably remember the story it seemed so terrible what happened to Joseph. His brothers sold him into slavery when he was only 17 years old. 
You know, initially they were going to kill him, but, you know, they figured, hey, we'll make a little money on this whole thing. And so they sold him to the Midianite slave traders, and he was a slave, and he was a prisoner in the worst circumstances for 13 years. Now, when you think about that, when I think about that, I think, man, that sounds bad. That's got to be evil, you might say. But the amazing truth is, even though his family was against him, God was for him. And the evil actually worked out for good. We know in the end in Joseph's life and that story that from the prison cell, God raised him up to be the second most powerful man in the world. And then later in his life, Joseph realized, wow. He said in the book of Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good as it is in order to bring about this day salvation to many people. If God is for us, you guys, and we really got to get these things and let these things grip our hearts today, then who can be against us? You know, it's just so amazing when we really think about this. All the plotting, all the planning of the enemy actually becomes part of the purpose of God. All the things that you've gone through in your life, all the hardships that you will ever go through in the future, all that plotting and planning of the enemy are actually part of the purpose of God. And so if God is for us, Paul says, who can be against us? You know, Paul later was arrested and we Read about him being arrested numerous times. And you might think, well, being arrested, that's a really bad thing, especially for being good, because he was preaching the gospel, and so he was persecuted for that. But Paul later wrote in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And I think that is so important for us to know that no matter what the difficulty might be, someday, some way, It doesn't matter. It will actually be, if you're a Christian, for the furtherance of the gospel. And not only Paul can say that, but all Christians can say that. You know, to ponder that question, man, there is no one that can come against us for bad. It's amazing to me. It's comforting to me. It's astounding to me. And I hope it is for you. You know, sometimes I think of my own life and I'm just a kid and I look at you guys and I know some of you go through tremendous suffering and our desire as a leadership, our desire as a pastor is that God would bless your life and God would comfort you with this truth and God would strengthen you so that you would never, never, ever slow down in that race that God's called you to run, to finish the race. Truths like this are what really keep us going. You know, I was kind of uh, tripping out on this because in this truth right here, I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but you actually find out how old God is. Did you guys know that? In this truth right here, you determine how old God is. God is four. Did you know that? (laughs) I found out. It says right there in verse 31, God is four. (laughs) Us. Don't ever forget that. I remember when I was four, I used to tell everybody, they would ask me, how old are you? I said, I'm four, and four is more. I used to say that as a kid. I remember my dad told me, man, you used to always say that. You're four, and four is more. (laughs) And God is saying, I'm four, 
and four is more. God is saying, I am for you. And I know a lot of times we don't realize that. We don't feel that. We don't believe we're worthy of that. And we're not. Let's just settle that question. Once and for all, we're not. But God is for us. And we realize that God is for us, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17. This is such a big time blessing. Could we read in verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Here Paul talks about the father freely giving us all things. Now it doesn't mean that God is bound to make us healthy and wealthy and prosperous. But what it really teaches primarily is the promise of his presence. How one day we will be in paradise And not only will we receive all the things of heaven, but all the things that are necessary to get there will be freely provided by our wonderful God who is for us. He loves us so much, man, that he gave us his son. And if that's the case, then what necessary thing would he possibly withhold from us? Like Psalm 84, verse 11, it says, The Lord is a sun, the Lord is a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. I mean, it's just so cool, you guys. You read in verse 28, remember last time, that all things work together for good for Christians. And we read in verse 32 that God promises to freely give us all things. And so all of our inheritance in heaven and all that we will never, ever, ever need on earth, God says, I promise. And that is so cool. You know, and that means that we will prevail in the midst of opposition. We will prevail in the midst of accusations. We will prevail in the midst of condemnations. We read in verse 33 again, who shall bring a charge against God's elect. It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. I mean, who's going to bring a charge against you? Who's going to come up with an accusation for incrimination, for, you know, incarceration in hell? Who will bring that accusation against you that will stand? No one. Because it's God who's justified us. Who will condemn you? Nobody will ever condemn you because Jesus died for you. He rose again and he is sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us right now. That's what Paul is saying. You know, we know the devil is the accuser. The Bible says that in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 10. And did you know that the Bible says that the devil accuses us day and night? I mean, that's crazy. You know, and I don't know if you ever hear those voices, but I know I do. I hear the accuser day and night. Because I sin day and night. And every time I sin, there's the accuser. Telling me, you're not worthy of God's love. You're not going to make it to heaven. He's not worthy to go there. He's the accuser. And we hear those voices. And it brings us down if we begin to believe those voices. You know, here the Lord says, listen, who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? 
You know, as you guys probably know in an elementary knowledge of the justice system, our primary concern, however, should not be the accuser. Our primary concern should be the judge, huh? Not the prosecution, but the jury. Those are the ones that we're, you know, concerned about. And the cool thing we see here in our verse today is that God is the judge. He also happens to be just and good. And at the same time, he's the justifier. You know, he's the only one who has the right to condemn. And he is the one who has made us right in his sight. So there is no way that we will lose. You see how it works? We read in verse 34 that Christ died for us. He rose again. And even to this day, he makes intercession for us. I mean, how can you lose when God is paying for you, when God is praying for you? How can we lose? God's our defender against the accuser. As a matter of fact, we have a really cool illustration of this. If you go back to the book of Zechariah, if you would go there to Zechariah chapter 3, it's the second to the last book in the Old Testament. And we have like a visual here of that whole, whole truth. In Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1, it says, And then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand. Notice it says, to oppose him. You know, we will have that opposition, you guys. Uh, sometimes it's physical, it could be a dictator, but it's always spiritual, always. It could be a demon, it could be the devil. But here we see in Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1, that here's Joshua, the high priest. He's standing before the angel of the Lord And Satan, there he is, man, standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. You guys, Joshua is us. I mean, this was something that actually took place in that day. But this is us. Here we are standing before God. There you are standing before God. And I'm sorry, man, but your clothes are filthy, ugly, dirty, stinky, holy. And when I say holy, I don't mean a good holy. It's a bad holy, man. And as we're there, we're standing before the Lord in our own righteousness. I don't care how good you are. And some are better than others in that aspect, man. You know what? We are all filthy before the Lord. And so here comes the, the devil and he says, listen, this is, a, this is a, a formal setting. Why is this individual allowed to stand before you, such a holy, perfect, righteous God? He doesn't deserve to be here. Cast him out. There's the accusation for incrimination, for incarceration in a place called hell. That's us. But look what we read next. It says in verse 4, And then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you. I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. And so they put a clean turban on his head. And they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. 
You see, you guys, that's exactly what has happened in our life. We, on our own righteousness, uh, we're just never going to make it. Not anything in the past, or I don't care how long you've been a Christian, anything in the future, you will never be dressed up enough to be able to stand before God on your own righteousness. And so what the Lord is telling you is, is he's taken care of it. He took the clothes. He knows the, the dress code, so to speak, in heaven. And he did the work. And that's what we read here in the book of Zechariah. It's such a perfect example for us. God clothes us and God cleanses us. And so back in the book of Romans, who's going to bring an accusation against you? It's, it's God who's, who's the judge and God is the justifier. And who's going to condemn you? No way. The Lord has done the work for us. You know, I think it's interesting to note that the first time we find the word clothed in the Bible is over in Genesis 3.21, after the fall of Adam and Eve. The Bible says the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. And the last time we read the word clothed in the Bible is in Revelation chapter 19, verse 14, where the church is returning with the Lord. And the Bible says the church is clothed in fine linen, white and clean. You see, the required attire of heaven is set by God and it's also given by God to all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you trusted in him as your savior? If you have, then God says, don't worry. You won't have to fail in your own filthy clothes. We can stand clean in the clothing of Christ, the linen of the Lord Even though I know you're going to hear that voice until the day you die, unfortunately we will. The accuser will accuse us. We do not have to worry about his words any longer. You belong to God. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Who is attempting to defeat us through opposition, accusation, cries of condemnation? Who are they? Nobody. Nobody in God's sight. What's their goal? Well, ultimately, it's separation. We're going to see that next. The act or state of moving someone or something. Detachment, disassociation, segregation. And separation through opposition, accusation, and condemnation is really the ultimate goal and strategy of Satan. And so what Paul does is he just blows it all Away in verse 35 again, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, there's the accusation. There's the, you know, things of opposition and condemnation because the enemy wants to bring us to a point of separation in our own hearts and that we don't really let the love of God fall on us and allow us to fly. But Paul here says, you know what? From a positional standpoint, there's nothing that can take place in your life that will separate you from the love of God. The enemy's goal is separation from the love. And God says the goal of the enemy, 
understand will never, ever, ever be reached. God says, my love for my children will never, ever fail. It will never, ever falter. It will never be far. It will never fade, not a bit, no matter what the suffering is, no matter what the situation, there will never, ever, ever be a moment of separation. You will always live in my love. What about when things happen? You know, Paul lists seven things in verse 35. Tribulation and distress, they speak of the deep, deep pressures of life. And sometimes I think those are the hardest things in life, things that you can't really put your finger on. All you know is that inside, it hurts and it aches. And God says, that doesn't separate you from my love. I'm still loving on you. And he also mentions famine. Think about that. And nakedness. Speaking of someone in heavy, heavy needs in life. He, spent, he, he mentions persecution, peril, and the sword. Speaking of the dangers of life. Even the loss of life. You know, and these are physical depravities, physical dangers, physical death, emotional calamities, catastrophes. Tough, tough times of what I would call double trouble, times of tribulation, and Christians will experience this, even if you're right on. You know, that's what we read in verse 36. For your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. You know, Paul here quotes from Psalm 44, verse 22. It's a contemplation of the sons of Korah. And, you know, he says that these guys who were, you know, going through this, they were not suffering because they had forgotten God or turned to some foreign God. Instead, they were suffering for God's sake. It says right there, for your sake. It was because of their very loyalty to the Lord that they were going through what they were going through. And you may be here today and you're thinking, well, you know what? I'm not some super sane. And so I'll bet you all the bad things that I'm going through are they're just my own fault because I'm so bad. And God says, it's not because you're so bad. It's because you're mine. And even though you only have a little mustard of seed of faith, that's enough to make the devil come against you and just want to devour you. And God says, listen, I want you to know that you're still living in my love. I mean, here we are, these guys right here, and I don't know if you've had it this bad. You know, sometimes we think we have it so bad, but these people are killed all day long. I mean, maybe that was one of those days when the Babylonians came in and just murdered and the Assyrians, we don't know, but man, they were going through heavy times. They were counted, think about it, sheep for the slaughter. And you would say, man, that's bad, isn't it? That's bad, right? And God says, wrong. It's not bad. In verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know, we usually want to get out of all these things. I know I do. But God says, notice again, in all these things, we are what? We are not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. 
Some translations call it an overwhelming victory. Those things are necessary in order for you to be that conquering Christian in life. It's all a part of God's love. Those places that you see as valleys are actually God's means of dominant victories. Those stumbling stones are stepping stones. That death is life. That sickness is health. That tragedy is victory. We've got to see it through the lenses of the Lord. And what the natural man sees as bad, the spiritual man must see as good. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Notice it says in verse 37, through him who loved us. And if it was just the devil and his demons, the dictators, the dudes and dudettes who don't like you, it wouldn't be good. But see, there's another individual involved in this whole thing. And that is the one who loves you. And so in all these things, what they do mean for evil, God will mean for good. No matter what it is. I don't care what it is. And you can think of all the things that bring you down in life. And God says they really, really bring you up. That's the way it works. God help us to remember that even in the unparalleled pain or peril and the tragedies, calamities, that he never stopped, not for a moment, he will never, ever stop loving us and working in our life. You know, and there are so many different situations that we could probably talk about. You know, I think, for example, of my father-in-law, who was a very good man. He was a good man in life. Um, But he didn't know the Lord. And then one day, he was diagnosed with cancer. And that cancer cleansed him of his sins. You see, he turned to the Lord and he confessed Christ as his Savior. Not that God, you know, caused the cancer, but he allowed the cancer. Because we live in this sin-sick society. And he allowed that cancer with his attempt, God's attempt in his love to reach him. To remind him of the brevity of life. The certainty of death. And heaven. And hell. And what happened? God saved his son. And then from there, we saw my father-in-law deteriorate physically. And he suffered so much pain. It was so hard to watch. But even in all that pain, we realized that there was an overwhelming purpose And now, as he is in paradise, God has washed away all the pain. Doesn't matter what you're going through. You might be here today thinking, well, my loved one has cancer and they're already a Christian. Well, in God's love, he can use it to save others and simultaneously keep that Christian close to the cross and usable the way that God wants to use them. You see, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we need to remember that.
You know, I think it was John MacArthur who wrote a book. It's called Hard to Believe. And I think sometimes it's hard to believe that God loves me. Sometimes it's hard to believe that God loves us. And maybe not necessarily because of what we're going through at times, but many times it's because of who we are. You know, I know who I am. And I know how wicked and wretched and weak, miserably weak, that I am. And it's hard to believe sometimes that God loves me. But he does. You know, how could God love me, you might ask. I blow it so often. Join the club. (laughs) Join the club of the wicked. Sorry to say (laughs) Join the club of the wretched, but also join the club of believers who don't understand why and who probably most of the time do not feel the love. But by faith, we possess this promise today, the promise of God's word, that God is love, that he loves us with an everlasting love every day, every moment in the face of true accusations. And troubling situations, he still loves us. You need to join that club. It's very important. So that you can say with Paul in verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, I'm not that smart. I don't have a degree in theology. I've never taken an IQ test, but I have a feeling I'm not going to do too good if I did, you know. (laughs) I'm not that smart, you know, but I'm pretty sure, and looking at this right here, that Paul covers every and any possible situation here in his words. And he says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not death, not life, not angels, not demons, not now, not forever, future, not mountaintops, not valleys, nothing in time or space or any other created thing which includes myself, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You know, and looking at this, you guys, you know, I just really pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that truth would sink in. You know, I've shared with you guys before that the bottom line is we're like birds. And if we don't let the love of God sink in, we will not be able to fly like, you know, wings who've been clipped, you know. And I always tell you guys, you know, I can't wait to go to heaven. I hope I can fly. Wouldn't that be cool like Superman? Not like (laughs) Spider-Man. Like Superman. I want to fly. And even here on earth, you know, you can walk if you want. Get you a certain, you know, distance. You can take the train. uh, You can take the car. But when you begin to fly, you go places that you could never go. And when you let the love of God sink in, 
You just settle that issue. You settle it. No matter what happens in my life, it's an expression of the love of God. It's going to be worked out for good. Then you begin to fly. And that's my prayer, you guys, this morning. To allow this truth to sink in. To really know that it's not your grip. It's his grip. It's his grace. It's his goodness. It's his glory. And that changes everything. I like what John Stott said. He said, our confidence is not in our love for him, which is frail, fickle, and faltering. Our confidence is in his love for us, which is steadfast, faithful, and persevering. You know, this morning before we came out here, we gathered together for prayer. And it was kind of cool. We got in a circle and we held hands and we prayed. And it was a blessing, you know. And uh, after the prayer was over, uh, Jesse was holding my daughter's hand. It was kind of funny. And he told her, let go. And she had let go, but he didn't. He's all, come on, let go. And here they are, they just, they just were connected and they wouldn't be disconnected. He's all, let go. And she had let go, but he did not let go. And that's the way it is with the Lord. Sometimes we wonder, well, can I hold on? Am I strong enough? Am I good enough? You're not. But his grip is good. And that's where our focus needs to be, you guys. Like one guy said, let me no more my comfort draw from my frail hold of thee. And this alone rejoice with awe, thy mighty grasp of me. And that's where our comfort needs to be, you guys. The love of God, the Bible says, constrains us. You know, it's kind of cool. Last night, Steve called me and he said, hey, you know, I just wanted to find out what was a study about tomorrow. And I share with him, you know, it's the love of God. And it was so cool. I don't know if you guys noticed, but man, the songs that he sang, I mean, they're just so many beautiful songs about the love of God, huh? I mean, it's just, we're just rich with all these songs. And um, I went over uh, a few songs and uh, let me just share a, a couple of lyrics with you guys. Uh, one is by a guy named Jaden Lavick and he talks about, you know, the whole thing about, well, I don't know, uh, you know, what if, you know, the love of God, does it fluctuate? Is it based on my performance? And this is a song called What If. He says, what if I climbed that mountain and I swam to that shore? What if every battle was victorious? Then would you love me more? Would you love me more? What if I were everybody's first choice? What if I went farther than before? What if I stood high above the rest? Then would you love me more? Would you love me more? When you say I belong to you apart from the things I do, you say I belong to you, and so I'm in awe of why you do, why you do, why you do. And then he says this, well, what if I ignored the hand that fed me? What if I forgot to confess? What if I stumbled down that mountain? Then would you love me less? Lord, would you love me less? What if I were everyone's last choice? What if I mixed in with the rest? What if I failed what I passed before? Then would you love me less? Lord, would you love me less? And the answer is, is no. It doesn't matter how much you do good, it won't make him love you more. It doesn't matter how much you do bad, it won't make him 
love you less. Yeah, but we're supposed to do good. Well, your determination won't create a transformation. It's when this information sinks in that there will be a true change in life. You see, that's how important it is, you guys. You know, in closing, you guys, I know this week, if you watch the television and uh, at all, if you turn on the radio, um, you know, I was thinking about the whole thing with uh, with Michael Jackson, you know, passing away. And uh, I do encourage you guys to pray for his family. I do encourage you guys, uh, um, you know, it's kind of funny the the way that the reaction is sometimes even from the church can be very disturbing, you know, but, um, you know, Michael Jackson was gifted, huh? I mean, as far as music goes, he even made me want to dance. And that's pretty amazing. Because <laughs> I have no rhythm. But man, when he starts, you start moving like this. No, I'm just joking. No. <laughs> Very gifted. Very gifted. But I don't think he ever really knew love. And you see his deterioration in life. I mean, he was a five, six-year-old kid, you know, getting famous, uh, getting fortune, going through things he went with, with his family, with his father, with his brothers, all the things that go with the package that was dealt to him in life. But you see the things that he did to himself. You see even probably the drugs that he took at the end of his life to try to take away the pain, not just the physical pain, but the emotional pain. When all along, man, your heart just aches, your heart breaks. Because you know that the answer was the love of God. And for us, you know, you may not be Michael Jackson, but it's still the same. The answer is the love of God. Not that we first loved him, but he first loved us. And when that sinks in, then you and I, will fly. And that's what God wants, you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Uh, To me, I don't know if this is right, but it's just such an, an amazing truth, probably one of my favorite portions of the Bible, Lord. Because I know here's the key for me being a good husband, for me being a a good dad, for me being a good Christian, for me enjoying life, for me having peace for the path and joy for the journey and just everything that's good is that I would just believe. It's hard to believe, but I would just believe that you love even me. You love us. And so, Lord, I pray for your people. I pray today that they would know that. Please, Lord. Help us, I pray, to receive that truth. Like John the Beloved did. He said, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. We do love you back. And we thank you, Father. Thank you for your word that transforms our life. Bless your people, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.